Well, welcome to The Journey. I am Kevin Polkey, and I'm the host of The Journey. And as many as you, many of you know, The Journey is um, a story of, or episodes about stories of transformation. Individuals who've had either setback in their life or obstacles in their life, or maybe even uh, found themselves getting pulled in a, in a different direction. Not only do we talk about what those struggles or setbacks are, but we also talk about more importantly, what do we learn about ourselves if those struggles, uh, with those struggles being there, and, and what we what we learned, what we learned that if we wouldn't have been, had that struggle, um, what would have been missing in our life. And so today we have a, a special a special guest, uh, Jason Gooley, and uh, Jason and I just mes- recently met, and uh, he's got a pretty exciting story as well. So, uh, Jason, thank you for being on on the journey. Awesome! Thank you so much for having me, uh, Kevin. It's been uh... It's been a wild ride, and I've only known you for two and a half weeks. <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. So, so Jason, why don't you first kind of just fill, fill in the audience in. I just asked some kind of basic questions, but if Jason has the opportunity to have fun, what, what do you do for fun, Jason? I, I'm a big music person. I love music. I love all music, but I'm also a big metalhead. Uh, and uh, so I play the guitar. I do a lot of live music. I go out and see a bunch of friends play and, and uh, check out different bands and whatnot, and then you know, if I'm not spending time with my kids or family, I, I do woodworking and, uh, you know, kind of just, I'm an IT guy geek at heart. So I do a lot of that too, as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, tell me a little bit. I mean, I was, we could go down the train of the, of the music piece. I think I shared with you, I, I live with a rock band when I was, uh, when I was in college and, and that was a whole, uh, that was during the eighties when the, and the hair bands were at, at, oh, yeah. at, at its peak. And, and, you know, I remember uh, watching Headbangers Ball and Metallica's, uh, you know, one video came out for the first time oh, and, yeah. we're, and we're all gathered around this little TV to watch, uh, watch that video. And we happened to be, we tried to, the, the four of us tried to transition out to um, Colorado and live out in, out in Denver to see if they could make it out there. And then I could try to get into, you know, the counseling world out there. And the house that we stayed at, you could see the um, Red Rocks Amphitheater off our oh, balcony, wow. right? Nice. And, and so while we were out there, and, and it was, and you can't even make this stuff up. We we literally we got all the windows open. We got fog rolling in over over the over the foothills of the you know, of the Rockies, and we're playing the Black Album. Okay, uh, Metallica's Black Album, and all of a sudden the song comes on. It's the first time we had heard it. Um, uh, what's it? Wherever wherever I may roam. Yep. It's that 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 moment in time is burned into my memory, and um, that song's had a had a, a extra special place in my heart ever since that since that just hearing it for the first time in that setting. So it was pretty, oh, it's, pretty it's wild. So, it's so funny you say that because uh, so obviously Metallica just celebrated their 30th anniversary of that Black album, and uh, I did the, I just they asked for folks to just kind of put in a recording of where they were when they first heard this Black album, and I was skateboarding in my buddy's basement. Uh, and he had a big enough basement where you could skateboard around, but if you try to ollie or do anything high, you'll bash your head on, a, on the, on the <laughs> So we would like, we would scoot around and he was, a, he was a drummer at the time. So, uh, it was funny. Cause the first song I think I heard was, uh, I, I believe they played uh sad, but true on the radio. And they were like, this is off the new black album. And then they're like, you know, we're going to do something. We shouldn't do it, but we're going to do it. We're going to play the entire black album. And they played the whole thing. And then they just kept repeating it. And we were just skateboarding for hours, listening to black album, wherever my Rome was another classic uh so it's like it's, it's amazing where you can it's like etched in time music will put you in a specific place and mindset 
Um, and uh, it's, it's cool how that works. It's like a separate language. Very, very much so. Very much so. So tell, tell us a little bit about woodworking. How, what, what do you, when you do woodworking, carving or making things or, or what do you mean? Uh, more, more making things. Uh, so my, my dad was into woodworking. My brother's huge into, he's, he's a, he's like really OCD about woodworking. He's really good at it. And uh, I just, I remember going, you know, through junior high and high school and having shop class and building stuff with different, you know, power tools. And then as the years went on, I got into construction, I was building houses. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm making things on a lathe and making pens and, you know, different, like not make my own nunchucks. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've been in martial arts my whole life. I have a reason. I have a reason. Um, uh, so I made my own nunchucks and just different things like that. Kali sticks for, for, for martial arts and stuff. And, and I just kind of kept going and making little boxes and stuff. And it's just something that I find it's very meditative mm-hmm. when you're working on something. And, and I'm, it's sad for me because I'm a perfectionist. And when I'm a perfectionist and you're working on wood, it's just, you know, if, if it's just not perfect, I always beat myself up. But I think that's part of the process is it's, it's beauty in its own self, even if you don't do anything to it. So I'm learning to let go of more and more of the it's got to be perfect. Um, and my brother just does it you know, flawlessly and he just makes everything look beautiful. So I, I think I'm just learning more and, and using it as a way to calm down and relax and, and spend more time in the now and the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad did, um, had, had always been involved with, uh, different types of wood, um, wood making. I mean, everything from, uh, you know, refinishing old pieces of furniture to then, you know, and then uh, he was a handyman. So doing some construction projects and then toward, as he got older, he started getting into carving and whittling and he okay. would, and he would make, uh, canes and, um, and the, and the interesting thing about those when he would make his canes is that they didn't have to be perfect because the, you know, they, they, because they just, they could, they could be done with the uniqueness of, of the wood. Yeah. Um, and they were going to be functional because of the wood that he was using. And, um, and he didn't have, because he had a tendency to, to also want things to be just yeah. a certain way, you know, and um, I don't know if a per- perfect or perfectionism probably wasn't exactly the best descriptor, but he definitely had a, a mindset of what he wanted it to look like. And he would, he would push or become frustrated if it didn't look that way. So, yeah. And the, and the, and the making the cane somehow allowed him to kind of relax into that a little bit, uh, a little bit more and not have to be the same as if he was carving something or, or, you know, something a little bit different. So a little bit more lenient than, 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 than another type of project. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, so Jason kind of, kind of fill the, fill us in, where did you grow up? Um, and, and what was, what was school like growing up and what type of activities were you involved with and things like that? Oh, well, I grew up in Elgin, Illinois, uh, which was not that far outside of Chicago. Um, and when we were growing up in Elgin, it was, uh, uh, you know, when we were really young, it was decent, you know, because you're, you're not getting out and about too much. You're kind of playing in fields or you're, you're, you know, my dad was a landscaper and he owned his own snow plowing business. So I would go with him and help landscaping as I was growing up, or I'd sleep in the back window of his truck while he's snow plowing, you know, just different things like that. And it was, it was, it was fairly cool. We had, a, we had a farm we lived on for a long time. And then we just, we moved around a lot from house to house and, and different places around the Elgin area. And then as you got older into the teens, the teens is kind of like the height of the early nineties and, and the mid nineties. And, and as you know, the height of the mid nineties, right outside of Chicago was not the best place in the world to grow up. Um, so it was, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of things that you, you probably don't want to see and, and, 
violence and gangs and all this stuff. And I was involved with some of that dumb stuff when I was, when I was young and, you know, it became a lifestyle. You're, you're, you're seeing how other folks are growing up around you. And this is just, it just seems like that's how you're supposed to be. And those are your friends and you're getting into trouble and you know, staying out all hours of the night and doing things that, you know, you shouldn't be doing at a young age. And, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to see how things change though. And, and I think a lot of the change was getting out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think I was, man, I think I had to be 15 years old, maybe no, 16, I'd been 16. And some kid pulls a knife on my brother in music class. I'd been 15. Um, and pulled a, bro- a knife on my brother. And my mom was like, that's it. You know, <laughs> picked us up and moved us out uh, further West uh, into a town called Sycamore, Illinois, which is really night and day. You know, it's like an hour plus West of, of Rockford and it's all corn and fields and like way slower uh, pace of life and everything. And I, I had a heck of a time adjusting because that was, you know, I was, that was not what I was raised or where I was raised. So I just felt like I was an outcast and, you know, couldn't get along with anybody and trying to, trying to bring a little bit of that uh, rambunctiousness to the, to the, to the cornfield, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it was interesting. You know, we always found different ways to have fun. We, I mean, whether you're outside playing or we messed around with sports, we weren't really sports folks, but we, we played around outside me and my brother would play some football or, you know, baseball or something like that. But a lot of it was just riding bikes, skateboarding and causing trouble. Sure. Sure. So, (laughs) well, I think one of the things that, especially going from such a, you know, a city, bigger city like Elgin, and then going to a smaller town like Sycamore and, and especially during that time period, you know, Sycamore for, for is, is outside of DeKalb. And, and so it's a small, you know, smaller school, it's bigger now, but um, it, it was heavy, heavy sports oriented. And, yeah. and I, and I've had a lot of different individuals I've worked with over the years. And if you, if you happen to be good at sports and you happen to go and you transfer into one of those schools, ah, the transition isn't bad because you, yeah. you, you're seen as a commodity. You're seen as someone who's an asset. And, and if you come in and you're not necessarily really good at sports or don't even play sports and you're into some kind of alternative you know, than the norm, um, it's, it's harder. It's hard to make that transition. And it sounds like that might've been the, your, your case. Yeah, it was, it was tough for me. I mean, and, and, you know, coming out of that type of way of life and going into, uh, where everybody expects you to be like proper and, and nice and everything was really difficult for me because, you know, swear words were my every day. I was just what I was, that was pretty much my language, right. Uh, from what you grow up and then you go to the school or, you know, you're not even really supposed to cuss or, or make any kind of fuss. And, uh, they, they didn't like me very much. And I ended up getting in a lot of trouble at school. And, and, you know, it was just one of those things that over the years, as things evolved, you know, the little things that you would think are normal, like walking around with a pocket knife in your pocket is normal when you're living in Elgin, you know what I mean? That is expected if not some other things that are in your pocket. Right. Um, and you go to, you go to Sycamore and I got, I got caught with a pocket knife uh, at a school bonfire, which I mean, half of the folks there, I mean, you're watching, you know, we, we used to call them a, uh, we used to lovingly Hicks, you know, the, some of the folks that would, would dress up and with their buck knives attached to their hip visible. You were like, well, what about all them? <laughs> Every one of them has a knife at the bonfire because mine was in my pocket and, his was on his hip. It's okay. And, 
it was just it was just a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of uh, energy. It was it's almost like footloose, right? You just feel like you're doing the wrong thing at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I ended up getting expelled out of school because of that, which was which was drastic. Now, I, I don't get me wrong. I was not innocent in the all the events that led up to me eventually getting expelled. You know, I used to get in fights. I used to get in trouble with the, the principal, the vice principal, and I did not get along at all. You know, a lot of skipping school. I would skip school and be in school. Like I would literally just not go to class, but stay in the school and then go do something else or whatever, just because I didn't feel like dealing with some of these, these teachers in these classes, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, hindsight probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world, but I believe also that everything had to happen that way to, to, to make the path that I'm on now. So, um, I, I, I'm recently, recently, uh, realizing that, uh, I, I shouldn't necessarily focus so much about what happened in the past and how it happened versus what I learned from it and how I can not do certain things moving forward, you know? And uh, I think that was just the biggest thing for me was, was that lifestyle change, realizing that just because I got kicked out of school doesn't mean I can't do what I want to do with my life. And uh, that's when I got into IT. I mean, I was, was pretty young. I got kicked out in, I think, 95. And uh, that's 1995. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty soon we'll have to start clarifying. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I got kicked out in 95. And then I just, I've, I got into IT through my best friend was teaching me all this stuff when I was really young. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna keep doing that. And I stayed through it and I kept going with it. And I ended up getting my, my dare I call it the good enough diploma or GED before everybody in school graduated even. I was supposed to graduate in 97 and I was already doing jobs working in the computer field by the time I was 15, 16, really. I was, and, uh, and then by the time I hit 17, I was like, now I'm a little older. I got some more legal stuff behind me where I can actually you know, rent a car if somebody co-signs or so I started traveling for work and doing all these things at a very young age. And I just, I just never stopped. And I think that was, beneficial because a lot of folks, if you get an interruption of life that drastic, like you just picked up and moved from all of your friends, everybody, you know, the lifestyle that you had, even though it might not have been best, the best, and we were really poor and moving around constantly and things like that. Uh, it, it's not a lot of folks can recover or rebound from that. And I just, and I, I find myself fortunate and blessed that that happened for me because in a way it was like, I'm not, I'm not, better than anybody in any way, shape or form. My thought process was just that, well, now I only have one choice. (laughs) You took away my school. You took away everything that I had. So like my only choice is I got to get whatever the equivalent is, which was the GED and then just keep going. And that that was it. I just didn't look at it like I had any other options. So I just trudged forward and just kept going in the IT realm. And here I am. You know, in, in counseling, in the counseling world, right, we talk, we talk about that certain events, you know, they become imprinted on us, right? And we talked about that earlier with music, you know, a yeah. certain song comes on and we remember exactly where we were at or what we were doing when that song comes on. In similar, certain time periods in our life because of events that happen or certain impressions that may happen, you know, during that time period, like if, you know, like you, you had mentioned a couple of times, you know, recognizing that that you, you know, were poor or recognizing that we moved, you know, that you moved around a lot, but it was in, it must've been still within a a certain uh, range of community because your friends didn't change as much until you went to Sycamore. And then all of a sudden, bam, right. And then when you have, like, I've had more than a handful of people tell me that, you know, wow, no, I'm not a good student. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're 30 years old. What do you mean? You're not a good student. He goes, well, I never did good in school. 
I said, well, how old were you when you were in school? And they would talk about, you know, you know, middle school or, you know, whatever, teenage, whatever it was. And I said, well, maybe you weren't a good student then based upon what the, the teachers were or the subject matter or whatever, but that doesn't mean you can't learn now. Exactly. And, 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 but, but so many times we will get that in our head that, well, because I wasn't good at it when I was 12 or, or, or whatever, then we've, we've now concluded that that's how it's going to be the remainder of my life, you know? Yeah. And that's unfortunate too, because I think, and I think that's part of, part of why I think, uh, I think that's part of why I'm so fortunate and blessed is just the fact that like, I, I looked at it in a different light, but I see a lot of my friends and I saw a lot of folks that I grew up with in those different communities when I was moving around a lot that didn't, you know, and, and, and it was funny, you know, was, uh, I'm a big Snoop Dogg fan. I love all music, but I'm a big Snoop Dogg fan too. And I, and I just grew, cause that's, that's kind of what I grew up with. And one of the things that I, I just happened to find a video that he launched the other day, or he probably launched before that, but I saw this video where he was talking about closing the gap. And what it was, was he said, you know, when you're growing, your friends are tend to be here. And if you're growing, you might end up here. And then there's this gap. And he said, the only way to close that gap is usually to come back down to where they're at. And he said, if you do that, you lose, right? If anything, you want to motivate and inspire those folks to try to come up and be better and do better. And then just, just focus on different aspects of life to, to achieve whatever it is, whatever their goal is that they, they want to do to get out of that, that rut. And I don't want to say rut, I guess, because some folks, you know, they're, they're happy there. Right. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to say you outgrow people, but your motivation and your mindset changes and it shifts. And if you do come back down, you're doing the disservice to yourself and the friends and family that you have now. So it's like, you have to make sure you constantly keep evolving. And that was why, like, one of the things that the saying that I invented, it was just, it's just one of the things just stuck with me. So, so awesome. And it was called involve and evolve, right? You're involving folks and then you evolve because you're working as a community, as a group, you're learning from others. It's not just me, 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 me. And there's no way I would have made it to where I'm at without other folks. And that was, and that was a hard thing for me for a lot of years, because, you know, you're one of my biggest pet peeves or, or things that bothers me is having to rely on somebody else because you, you are a go-getter, you're a doer. You, you, you want to go get stuff done GSD, right? You want to get stuff done. <laughs> um, and you always have to put your faith in somebody else because otherwise you're not going to get there. And, and you take things in your own hand is one thing, but everybody always has somebody else give them some sort of a hand or an opportunity or a leg up that you could take advantage of to build on. And I think that if you don't keep your eyes open and look for those opportunities, look for the friends who are thinking the same way you are, or want to go in a similar direction or have their stuff organized a little bit better than you are. I, I was blessed and fortunate to have a lot of folks around me who, who wanted to see me succeed and want, and they were succeeding. And, and that's the thing is like, it really does depend on who you hang out with. I remember my, I can hear my mom right now, you know, you, you are who you associate with. <laughs> you know? right. yeah. It's true. You are what you eat too. So remember that, you know, if you yeah. eat a bunch of junk food. <laughs> uh. 
Well, and I, I just got done. Um, I'm reading this book right now about uh, essentially the book is uh, uh, a biography and it has like five different individuals are featuring, uh, you know, it starts off with Steve Jobs and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Elon Musk and it goes on down the line. And, and those, those are two good examples, right? Um, totally different worlds, uh, Steve Jobs and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but in both cases, they didn't do it on their own. They had individuals, I mean, for sure, timing was part of it. Yes, a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of uh, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of uh, of of you know pushing and taking certain calculated risks. But they also happened to be connected to certain individuals who were also part of that team. And and that I think you know to your point that I know for me that was very much um, my case when I was bodybuilding when I first started getting into the counseling world. There were some key individuals that I uh, I, w- I was influenced by, that I had individuals that helped me out, and and it was important for me to take advantage of the things that they were teaching me and the doors that were being opened. Um, I still had to walk through them. Yeah, absolutely. But to say that I did it all on my own, uh, that's not at all accurate because there were there were definitely was individuals that um, and and throughout my life and 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 currently today same same way is that um, you're right we don't do this alone that's for sure yeah well and it's funny you say that because there's a couple there's a couple pieces that I want to I want to jump into on that because it applies to a lot of different things like the first thing is that you also have to be in a situation where you're ready to, to walk through that door. So you might see other people and you're trying, but you have to also have your eyes open enough that you're like, okay, well, you have to kind of be present and ready to be able to make that next step. And some folks aren't, and it takes a little while and there's no right or wrong way to do it. You know, sometimes it just takes longer depending on what you're going through or where your, where your headspace is at. But then I also think, I think, and I don't want to be skipping tracks too fast, but I think of mental health, right? I mean, this is kind of why we're, we're talking is the, the whole idea is that you're not alone mm-hmm. and not, you know, it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. Like you're, you're, you're going to off yourself kind of thing. It's just, you have people you can bounce ideas off of. You have folks that you might be able to share feelings with. You might, ha- you might find somebody you want to do a partnership with, but you can make that much more massive of an impact because you're bringing the different like like mindsets together to do something for the good, right? right? And I think all of those pieces kind of intertwine to what's going on. It's not just a career to make money because you can, I mean, my dad always said this to me and I mean, he still even says this, right? Is if you do something you don't like to do, you're going to be miserable. What you have to do is find something you love to do, then find a way to make money at it. If you put those two together, you'll, you'll be, you'll be in great shape. But even if you don't make a lot of money, you'll be happy because you enjoy what you do. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, when you're talking about it, I I love it. I geek out about a lot of these different things, networking and all this stuff. But the bigger part of it is not only do I love that, but I use that as a platform to help other folks who want to get into that industry. And that's my passion is helping people. Everybody has a way of doing it, but I just find like, I literally have to stop myself when I realize, like, oh man, that person, their, their tire fell off or, or they're, they're trying to, they're trying to stop traffic so they get tired, better pull over there. And I'm thinking, no, I got my kids in the car and you have to think, you, you have to really think through that. But at the same time, all you want to do is help. And I think that that just comes out, it just comes out, you know, effortlessly. And if you can be and live that kind of way, I think at least you're, you're living a, a, on the bright side of things, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and I think there is, I mean, there is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, individuals who are passionate about making it in a particular sport or in the entertainment industry or whatever it is. And, and, you know, I think the, the pursuit of that dream of, of if it's to make the NFL or the NBA or the, you know, you know, to win a Grammy or what, whatever it may be, the pursuit of it is in itself going to open up doors. Yeah. Right. And, and it may, you may end up finding yourself working in the industry and may not be, you know, initially on stage or making it physically to the NFL as a, as a premier player, but you may be in the industry in some other capacity and that passion and that, and the love for that particular activity is, is what's going to fuel that. And so there's always, different ways to monetize that passion. Um, it's just, a, it's just a matter of continue to moving it. And there's also going to be times where, you know, I, I have friends that, you know, they're, they're musicians or artists or in the theater and they have jobs that allow them to make a living so that they could then do their, their, the thing that they're passionate about. Um, it, it allows them to do their job at a greater level. Um, because they are being fulfilled in, in this other activity, you know, and sometimes, you know, people are fortunate like you and I, that we actually, uh, what we're passionate about and, and what we're fortunate enough to be gifted in is, is also the thing that we've developed some skill level and we figured out how to monetize it. So that's, you know, and it doesn't have to always be that way though. There's, there's a lot of other ways for that to happen. You know, I, I think, you know, we're talking about mental health and the idea of, uh, and I know we talked about that just recently, this, this idea of um, mental health not being a straight line and, and similar to intellect or similar to physical activity or spiritual development, that it's more of a circle than a straight line. And, Absolutely. and this, and, and so one is it is to be aware of how how do how does previous experiences and, and and previous impressions how does that play an active role in my thinking today because the same thing that like in my case the same thing that drives me um to to work harder can also be the same thing that can curse me at the same time it's it's the same thing it has both sides of the coin Absolutely. You know, it could be, it could be a gift, but it also can be, it can be a curse. Either one could, if it's out of balance. Absolutely. And and balance is the word. Cause like when you said you, you could say a double-edged sword, you could say that, but when you think about it, I think of the scales of justice and I'm a Libra, so, you know, I have to, and, (laughs) and justice for all Metallica, you know, but uh, you look at it, like if one's out of whack, you know, you're, 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 you're tipping in that direction. And you tend to do more in that direction. And if that direction is negativity or that direction is helping so many folks that you are like doing it to your own detriment because you're not taking care of things that you need to do for yourself, your own mental health, your own just relaxation because you're physically running around everywhere and doing all these things, you know, giving yourself the rest that you need, all these different things, it adds up and it adds up pretty quick. And I think that, you know, it is a fine line between you know, being able to do the most impact for the most broader amount of folks that you can versus being more surgical, right? I mean, I think, I think now what I'm starting to learn is that I love helping folks, but I can't do one-on-one mentoring sessions with, with everybody, you know, for certifications or for book writing or whatever it may be, 
because it, you just you're spread so thin you just can't physically do it so i start trying to do things like teach some classes or i do like um you know webinars and different things like that where i, I can try to be surgical in the topic that i want to hit and the mechanism of how to get to that end game but it's for a group of people so i can try to help more i can try to make my impact stretched farther and wider if at all possible without beating myself to death you know in the process <laughs> yep well and i think that that i know for me that was a key turning point um as a therapist is that when i switched from focusing on my individual uh caseload uh, of clients that i was seeing and taking that same level of energy and then moving into helping therapists that work for kp or in the community helping them be the best therapist that they can be and, right. and if I focus on that exponentially, instead of me seeing, you know, 35 clients a week or 40 clients a week, now there's 40 therapists that are seeing 30 clients a week. So now all of a sudden it's like, right. bam, right. It, it's so it's that, it's that mindset. So, um, so when you, um, and, and you talked about the idea of, of, thinking about some of the things that you grew up with, some of the impressions that you have and how there's been different times that that went from a, a driving force to, uh, to, to accelerating ahead to, you notice it started driving you into the ground. Yes. And so, so speak to that a little bit. If you, if something, comes yeah, to you know, and, and, and that's, that's kind of the thing is, you know, I growing up the way I did, and I think this is all kind of stems from your childhood and it, it's kind of, it's universal into whatever, uh, whatever, you know, your individual situation is, but the, the framework is the same. And, and for me, when I grew up, we had nothing, we were broke, we were kicked out and evicted constantly. We moved from house to house. I go to school to school, all these different things. And a lot of them were in the same area, but you go off to different areas far enough that you still might see some of the same kids, but you have to go to a different school or, or whatever it is, right. Different buses, different, this, this, from that. Um, and it, it impacted my, my absence. I was gone from school. I found some report cards here just recently that they made me cringe. I mean, I was getting D's and E's and just doing horrible. And then looking at my, my absence and it's like, I was gone like 15 days in the first quarter, 22 days in the second quarter, 18 days in the third quarter. I'm like, when did I even really go to school? Right. Mm -hmm. And that was just the thing. It was like constantly things of that nature. You're moving around, you're doing all these things. And we had nothing. We were, we were, we were broke going to food pantries and all of this, right? Which there's nothing wrong with that. The thing is you, you have to know that you want better for yourself and you have to make whatever decisions you're going to make to, to, to get out of that rut, right. Or to get to, to embrace your, your family, love them, but be better. You always want to try to be better, right? Well, I was trying so hard to be better because everybody was telling me I wasn't going to make it anywhere in my life because of that upbringing, because of where I was, because of getting kicked out of school and never going to school and all this, you're never going to make it anywhere in your life, you know? And that was like fuel and motivation for me to be like, oh yeah, um, let me show you my, my special digits on, on both of my hands and just go as hard as I can to, to do better and prove you wrong. And that was my motivation for so long, you know, and I would just grind it out, grind it out. I was, I was 13 years old doing computers and had a business with my best friend at 15, you know, 14 and 15 years old selling computers. And I just, I just kept going with it, you know, just because they said we couldn't, we were, you know, we were kicked. He was kicked. He got suspended when he was with me. Cause he was with me when I had the pocket knife, he got suspended. I got expelled. Uh, 
But then I was, I had no other choice but to keep going with it, right? So I'm just going to prove you all wrong. Fine, I'm going to get my good enough diploma before you guys even graduate. And it was just like this, like it was an angst-filled motivation. And it worked. It was a fire for a very long time, but it's exhausting. And what I found myself doing is, is, you know, we talked the other day and this is, I'll, I'll share the story because I think it is literally, it, it was life altering for me. Right. And I didn't realize it was life altering until two weeks ago when we met the last time. You know? And uh, what it was is that, you know, my mom was ill. She had diabetes. Uh, she ended up with kidney failure. Um, she didn't know she had diabetes. This is the problem that we've, we faced. We were broke. So we moved around a lot. And then she kept going to this free clinic that we used to go to because we had no money, we had no insurance. So she kept going to this free clinic and the free clinic in Elgin, they didn't, they don't really necessarily, you know, it's not a hundred, you know, it's not a plus, uh, you know, medical attention, right? Mm -hmm. So my mom kept going in with this really bad pain in her back. And they're like, oh, take some ibuprofen, 1200 milligrams, four times a day or whatever, three times a day, whatever. Just kept doing it. And it's like, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. Oh, they upped it. Uh, 2,400 milligrams, you know, two or three times a day, all this. So she's just taking all the ibuprofen. Well, it turns out she was in pain because her kidneys were failing because she was diabetic and nobody knew she was diabetic. So she literally just literally totally smoked her kidneys with the ibuprofen, full renal kidney failure, boom, on dialysis every other day for the rest of her life. And nobody knew what the heck it was, right? I mean, I come home, I find my mom, she's sitting there, she's sleeping on the couch watching like game shows, which is not uncommon. It's super, super normal. But what was uncommon is that I was there, my brother's there, my dad was there, and we were never all there at the same time. And my mom was just passed out, and I just kind of looking over at her, and I noticed her her one ankle was, I mean, it was a, dude, it had to be like three times the normal size. And her other one was normal. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? I walked over there, and I just kind of pushed down her knee. She was wearing shorts. I pushed down her knee, and my fingerprint stayed indented in her knee. My boy, my mom, mom, and she wouldn't wake up. So we had to literally carry my mom. Luckily, we were all there, which is another godsend, right? Carried my mom into the car, sped over to the hospital. Oh, your kidneys failed. You have diabetes. Like, that's how we found out. We had no money. We didn't have enough money to get the care to find out well before. Oh, you might be borderline diabetic. It's just full on right into it. You and you're, That's it. So we, re- you know, my, my dad took my mom, retired out to Arkansas. You know, I moved down there to work at an IT job at a service provider and doing networking and as, as the time went on, it didn't, it wasn't long. I mean, we moved down in November of 2001. She was, she passed away February 5th, 2003. So it wasn't a long time, but in that time, you know, it was rough, you know, she's in nursing home, she's in all these other things. And I remember I was moving back to be with my wife, my now wife. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I gave her her last meal. We were talking and all this. And she told me, you know, you just smell like a cigarette. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been smoking. She's like, you need to quit. I'm like, well, I'm trying. You know, like, oh, try harder. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to be back with, 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 with my wife. And, you know, I want to try to make it work, try harder. Okay. I've been trying to get the certification, you know, and I've been taking it and it's just killing me, you know, and I'm just, I can't seem to pass it. Try harder, you know? And, and it was like this theme that I never really heard before from my mom, but it was just like, try harder. I'm like, okay. Now bear in mind at this point, they already cut off half of her fingers in her hand right? They cut these fingers off and she used to do, I love you all the time. So she'd do this to me, but that was gone. They cut half of her right foot off and they were getting ready to cut her legs off. So in my mind, as bad as it seemed, her mind was hundred percent there. Her body was failing. I, I, I don't want my mom to live 
without legs and half a foot and half a hand and attached to dialysis every other day for the rest of her life. It's just, it's horrid. So I'm, I'm in my, I'm over there praying like, dear God, you know, just make it, make it smooth. And I don't want her to suffer like that because imagine being, it's, you, you mentioned the, the music video one, right? The song one from Metallica, right? If you've ever seen that music video, this person is absolutely stuck in a bed, can't move any part of their body, and, but they're, they can't speak, but they can think. Imagine being trapped like that for the rest of your life. I just couldn't, I couldn't see that for my mom. So I'm praying, you know, and I leave and I drive back to Illinois and I got into my buddy's driveway, literally from driving back and I got the voicemail. She passed away. And, you know, as we talked the other day, this, this, there's this linear piece that, it, you know, it, it is circular in, in the fact that you have the loop, but there's this linearity that, that you mentioned before was like, you know, you're living life. Something happens. There's an event that event, you know, you call it the wound or, you know, where you have this, this, this um, a, a overt wound and a covert wound, right? The, a wound that just punches you in the face and it's evident, you know, I, you know, I saw some guy get shot when I grew up in Elgin, you know, maybe I won't go back to that area again, right? Or maybe I won't go into the South side of Chicago or some things like that. That's stuff you make a vow to yourself, you can control. My mom died and in my brain, somehow I wired together try harder with never ever slow down or stop. I don't know how I got there. The motivation, that angst filled energy of everybody telling me I wasn't going to make it anywhere in my life turned into, I'm doing this for my mom. Like I'm doing, I like, I didn't even realize it. It was just like, I'm, I'm doing, I'm well, not only am I getting it, I'm going to do it twice. And then, uh, and then I'm going to go and, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not going to write one book. No, you know, now that I wrote one book, let's, let's write five more in, in four years, right? Six books, right? Uh, let's do public speaking. Let's go all over the, the world to do events and talking and book signings. And, all. and it just was just like, bam, bam. And it just never stopped. I never slowed down. And it's made me very successful. Don't get me wrong. But I used to have hair. And uh, I used to have a lot of hair. And uh, it, I also used to sleep. And, and it, just, it just seems like, you know, until we had that conversation the other day, you don't realize how close you are to something when you're in it. I mean, you could pray, you can, you could, I mean, that's the biggest thing. A lot of times you pray, a lot of times you just want, you just want somebody to show you clarity on something. Right. And I'm so in, I was so into it with the blinders on. I was so close. I was just got to just keep executing. And I, and I said this to the other day and I, I've even told this to my wife and, and you know, I feel like I was working so hard to be better and more efficient and, and improve, more improved than my parents were, right? That I, I went on such a steep angle, such a mountain that I am floating out in outer space. And I have to turn around and look down at my family and my kids and my wife and earth and all my friends. I'm like, I just can't seem to, I can't seem to get back down there because I'm, I'm stuck in execution grind mode because of something that happened to me that I never even put together until two weeks ago, right? With your help, thank you. Um, and, and and I think that's the biggest thing is like we all hear the the acronyms and the, the the synonyms and all this of taking a step back and evaluating stuff. But it's like it's like you're taking a step back with your body, but your <laughs> your face is still jammed right into it, so you still can't get the perception of the the wider peripheral view because you're 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 not taking yourself out of it and being completely truly disconnected from what's going on and being an observer or a uh you could say follower you could say you know you're just a witness 
you're witnessing what's going on with no bias and no thing like, oh, well, I don't really like the way that that makes me feel and get all amped up and I've got all the stuff I got to do and I'm still saying yes to things. You get that anxious feeling like, no, I just just don't want to let anybody down. Well, what do you do then? Well, then you just keep executing and you keep going. But you're not saying no. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just this mountain just becomes more and more steeper. And at some point, you know, you're going to fall. And that's what burnout is. And that's what all these things in mental health and, and being able to take the time to recharge and all that. That's that's legit. That's real. I mean, that's something that you have to you have to take the time for yourself and I secure your own oxygen mask before you help anybody else. Otherwise, you're not going to be there to help anybody else. And that's what I've learned. And uh, it's huge. Well, and I think, you know, that that aspect, you know, when I when I showed you that a couple of weeks ago about the idea that when we get some some type of tragic thing happens or a, a parent dies, uh, you know, get kicked out of school, you know, whatever, whatever it is that, that we called it the wound. When we make a vow, right, it, there's a difference, you know, between, you know, OK, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to whatever it is. And when we say the, the word using when I use the word making a vow to it. It's because it is equal to how some of us view marriage, Uh, you know, that, that, you know, you know, that, that this is a lifetime commitment. This, this is going into it, you know, you know, what, what's the phrase, hell or high water, you know, however that is, you know, this is something that I'm going to see to the end. Well, if I'm, if I'm in a space where I'm 12 years old, 14 years old in a vulnerable emotional space, cause a parent dies or a job loss or something like that. And I make this vow, that doesn't mean the vow is any less powerful. Right. You know? And, and so we may have to, you know, come, it's like, we may have to look at it because maybe we've outgrown this, this, this vow, you know, maybe it doesn't work anymore. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's not to say that there isn't an aspect of it that will still pull out and utilize, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, your work ethic, my work ethic is still going to be my secret sauce. Yeah, I, d- I just have to have some level of, of boundaries with it or, or it, it'll go spinning off the rails like somebody who describes having an addiction to, yep. you know, to an opioid uh, or, or alcohol or something like that. And so um, so there is that element of balance and in recognizing, you know, and I think what I hear you saying is that we, we get broken out of a trance. Michael, yeah. Michael Singer talks in Untethered Soul. He, talk, he talks about this idea that when we recognize we are not our thoughts, because... That's huge. You know, if we were our thoughts, then we wouldn't necessarily be seeing it, right? So being able to step away and say, these are my thoughts, I'm not my thoughts, because I can see, kind of like you said, stepping away and seeing my thoughts or seeing... Yeah like in a third person perspective. And, and when we can do that, we can then maybe slow things down. Absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned a couple of things that like one is the addiction thing. You know, I, it, to me, it's like I was addicted to, I don't want to say success, but I was addicted to being better. The, the, the constant grind of improvement. It just, because I was worried, like, I know you don't want to end up like, 
getting kicked out, getting evicted, not having jobs, their health, your mom dies, your dad's almost dead. I mean, he's, God love him. He's having a lot of problems right now. He's, you know, following some pretty nasty footsteps that are, are, might be similar. And I just, you know, at the gym five, six days a week, yoga, three days a week, karate, you know, once, twice a week. It's like, just so I can't do, and that's physical. That's just physical. Not to mention all the mental stuff that goes with that. And I think the other thing is I was going, I was barreling down the road for a third one of these. And, uh, the, the thing is, when, when I realized was, I was always built this way where it's like, I don't get, we don't give up. We just keep going. We just keep, and we just grind through it. That's just how it is. But what I got to the realizing was that it's okay to change your mind. I'm not going to get paid anymore if I get a third one. What's it matter? Other than ego, my name's a little longer on a book. Like, what is, what is it going to get me? I can tell you what it won't get me time with my family. It won't get time to sleep. It won't get enjoyment. It won't get vacations. It won't, you are, you are at some point you have to make a decision. I, and I think my decision was I'm not giving up. I'm choosing to pursue other things that are more important to me. And I think when you said things change in life and whether you're 12 years old or you're in your thirties or 50 or what, however old you, it doesn't matter. Things change. You have to be able to take that step back to reflect. Is this still beneficial to me and those around me now. And if you can't do that, you'll never be able to make that actual um, informed decision if it's still worthwhile. Yes, it'd be cool to get it. Don't get me wrong. However, you got to choose the reasons or, or at least address and acknowledge the reasons of why you're going for it in the first place. Yeah. If it's to tell everybody you have it, it's not the right reason. If it's to build a career, make decent money, and it's something you love to do, and you know, maybe, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, I, I love music. We mentioned this at the beginning, right? I, I've been playing a guitar since I was like 14 years old. I'm okay. I'm not like awesome like a lot of these other folks. And I never learned music theory. I just learned by playing ear and tablature and kind of trying to figure out how to play other people's stuff. Well, over the years, I started writing my own songs, my own riffs and different words and lyrics and everything, but I was never able to get it all to fit and jive together because there's a lot of music theory in there that goes the timing and, and, and all of this that goes through that. When I saw it, as I started getting older and I started trying to record some of these things, they just, they won't line up right. So I'm, I'm having to, I'm having to learn how to fit all these different things together, what chords and keys and all this different stuff. And when I stopped for the third certification, I said to myself, you know, you know what I really want to do? I want to learn music theory. I want to learn music theory i don't have to i don't need to and that was the worst thing like it got to the point where i couldn't even say the word study because i'm i gotta go down you know it's thousands and thousands of hours uh, on both of these dude to try to build this it's like the two industrial equivalents of a doctorate you know i mean you're going down there and you're spending thousands of hours in the basement clacking it away and doing labs and doing things not seeing your family barely eating if my wife didn't shove food in here i would be sitting there for nine hours doing a lab that's an eight-hour lab and then two three hours trying to figure out what worked and what didn't work afterwards and sometimes you rob yourself of what you can what you can actually give or or receive just by saying you know what i don't necessarily know if that aligns with what i need to do now and i think that's the biggest advice is just taking a step back and reevaluating is it as important as it once was or was it ever that important you know so, so one of the last thing I want to I throw out to you, I'm going to ask you, I'll, I'll give you an example and I'll ask you the same question. 
because I think, uh, as we talked last last couple of weeks ago about the idea that we're on a circle of life versus a, a, a linear path, we we can find ourselves back here again, right? We yes. can we can you know s- different circumstances, different reasons, you know what whatever the whatever the deal, whatever triggers us, you know maybe it's a ja- job change, maybe it's a location change, maybe it's a financial stress, maybe the fact that gas is over four dollars a gallon, and all of a sudden I start well, you know whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, my buzzwords that tell me I'm possibly going down that path again is when I hear myself say out loud, have to, can't, supposed to, need to, any of those words, (laughs) any of those words for me are going to trigger me to go, Oh, you were doing, you were saying that when you were body, but you were saying that when you couldn't differentiate between KP and Kevin, you know, the, 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 what I did, for a living and who I was, you know, and, and those are those, those are my trigger words, or those are my red flag words that Kevin, you may be going down that, that, that hallway again, if you yeah. had any words or phrases or things that you do, what, what would be those things that you're finding yourself down that hallway again? It's so funny because the, the I can't is a huge one, right? Because you're like, Oh, because what, what, what it impacts what it impacts when you say that when I catch myself saying, I can't, it's, I can't to, I can't rustle at my daughter. I can't go to the park with my son. I can't ride a bike with whatever. We can't go to the property, ride around on a whatever four wheeler or do something. I can't, I can't, I can't because I have to, because I need to, because I should. And that's the thing. It's very similar, very, very, very similar, but just different circumstances, right? I should prepare for this course I'm going to teach next week, right? Um, I should do all the due diligence to make sure all my slides are good. I should, oh, you know, even though we're done working and it's like nine o'clock, I find myself opening up work apps on my phone. Because I, I, why? That means I'm not present enough in my own time with my family that I'm opening up a work app that nobody's going to be there on that work app. And if they are cool, they could be there tomorrow right? When I'm working. But when, especially in the IT realm, I mean, this is one of the biggest things I find is that there's no end, right? We're on this, we're on this, we go anywhere, it's it's there. You're always connected, always attached. That's why I got rid of the smartwatch. I just couldn't have another thing tapping my attention away from my family and myself and myself, right? I should be meditating, right? In the morning, I used to wake up and meditate every single morning. And some days I would do it. And then some days I'm like, oh, you know, I'll just look at this, this, you know, social media thing or whatever. And I even put all my social media on the last page of my phone and turned off all notifications because I I didn't want it to impact my life. But I found myself just sifting through all the pages to get to the back end so I could do social media anyway. And I'm like, you know, I'm not being true to myself, my family, or, or anybody out there who I'm trying to help and inspire. If I'm the one going through like, you need to do all this. And then I'm not right. Um, so I think it's very similar words, different search circumstances, but the same outcomes. The outcomes are the same. You're cheating yourself or somebody you're with because you're being sidetracked by something that you think you should do or need to do. But really, all you really need to do is be in the moment, be in the present, be aware, be happy and chill out. And uh, I think that's something I'm learning uh, like like today. And, and you know, hopefully this won't air until after today. So I don't get too much trouble for work, but I'm taking half of the day off. 
I mean, it's 70. It's for the first time. It's going to be 70 something degrees out here in a long time. I'm just going to go out and relax. And I think the, the, the reason being is you have to take the time for yourself. If you don't, you won't realize what's important, what's not important, because it's all going to slip away at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. no, yeah. I agree. So, Jason, as we get ready to wrap up and and the, you are definitely an individual who I would love to have back on, because I, I imagine, you know, six months from now, there will be some other stories that we can talk about and things that you've discovered about yourself. Uh, and regardless if it's as a husband or as as a father or as a son or 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 other aspects of what how you're doing life. But if if there was something that you wanted to leave uh, the listeners with, what would be something that you would want to leave the listeners with right now? There is a quote that, I, you know, I've lived, I, I, and this is the funny thing. There's this quote that I've lived. I've literally lived this quote to try to, to, to be successful, to get the, to, to, to focus, to get the certifications, the CCIEs and all this other stuff and to, to keep growing, right? And for the first time in a very, very, very long time, it means something different. And that quote is, the reason that most people fail instead of succeed is they trade what they want the most for what they want at the moment. And I used to look at that like, oh, I'm going to go out and hang out with my friends. No, you're not. Because what do you want the most? You want this and you want to succeed, right? And I used it as that. It was like a hammering. Uh, you know, it's just like forging myself in, in steel and stone to just know conditioning. You were going to do this. Now it's like you give up what you want the most for what you want at the moment. What do you want most? You want to be happy. You want your family to be happy. You want to enjoy life. The number one thing that anybody should ever want is to be happy and enjoy life, right? There's nothing else. Yeah. All the other stuff is a part of life. But at the, 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 the pinnacle, you have, you know, if you believe or not, you know, you have this point, which is life. It all goes to life. And then if you believe in God or anything past that, you know, that's, that's it, right? So in my mind, that quote, uh, you, the reason that most people fail instead of succeed is because they trade what they want the most for what they want at the moment can really mean looking at yourself, focus on yourself, get what you want the most, a nice, healthy, happy, enjoyable life, ditching the stress, and then the rest of the stuff will fall into place somehow. doesn't mean just sit back and like, oh, yeah, just let everything just blow up, not pay my bills. I'm not going to log in and do my do my, uh, you know, uh, groceries or balance my checkbook or whatever, but just, you know, you know, in the end, I think this is something my dad always says, you do the best you can, the rest don't count. They can't take away your birthday. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, and it's interesting, you know, you hear people and I, and I, I, I was the, similar to yourself. I was that, I was that person who utilized that I would outperform other teenagers. Um, I would outwork, not outperform, but I would outwork. I would outdiscipline myself um, because I was competing against teenagers um, that, that wasn't as hard because I trained with, trained with adult men yeah. And so I, I had the same standard for myself as they did, but I was, but my competition was teenagers. Right. And so right. who wanted to go to the basketball game or wanted to do whatever. The downside is that I carried that into life and didn't know when to, to take the foot off the accelerator. Right. And, yes, and, absolutely. And so, so it's, it's kind of, kind of your, kind of your point and, and how, how to, how to be more strategic with that. And that's what I've realized with the, with the use of meditation, the use of uh, mindfulness, um, to, to be able to go the, the benefit of that, that space and time of being in that, being in that meditative state of, of, 
of not doing and how much the creativity aspect comes in or in, in for for my case, the, the, the God space that comes in and, yeah. and then I can see the folly of some things and then see the path of other things. So yeah. Jason, I uh, so appreciate the conversations that we've had as we've, as we've gotten together and, um, and I'm definitely glad that we were had an opportunity to capture one of those uh, conversations for, um, for our audience. Um, again, if, if there was somebody that wanted to, you know, I don't know if there was somebody who wanted to reach out to you and see some yeah. of the work that you're doing, the books that you've written, um, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm on sad looks like a double edged sword again, right? I'm on all social media, uh, so I'm at Jason underscore Gooley on Twitter and and Facebook and LinkedIn and all this, um, and then on uh, I have that show I was telling you about, which called Metal DevOps. It's about metal music and technology, so you can just do at Metal DevOps and Metal DevOps on YouTube as well. Perfect. All right. Well, Jason, again, thank you for uh, being on the show today and we will definitely get you scheduled to be beyond sometime in the future. Uh, I can't uh, wait. Yeah. I appreciate it. As, as always, you know, if there was something that, uh, that, that struck home during our conversation with Jason and I, or something I said, or something Jason said, um, definitely give yourself some time to, to journal about that, to write some things down, maybe have a conversation with someone else about that, maybe pass this uh, uh, the episode on to someone else, that that may be something for them that will uh, break them free of some bondage that they've had. As always, I appreciate you being here with us, and I look forward to being with you next week.